I want to thank you all for coming. We're going to have a heck of a week. Everybody's coming tomorrow. You ready for tomorrow? It's going to be incredible. There's not going to be a presentation or speech at any point this week that's going to be better than this. Ladies and gentlemen, Arian Lewis. Thank you very much. It's been a it's been a good road. Clint and I met five years ago, at least. And um, it's amazing what Silicon Slopes has done for this ecosystem. And we're really fortunate in the places that I've lived previously, there isn't an organization quite like this that brings people together. And so we're pretty, uh, pretty blessed to be fortunate enough to have people that work so hard behind the scenes to keep us all connected. So um, I also just want to mention, uh, whilst, whilst I am the founder or CEO of Kiln, there's a lot of amazing people here from Kiln. So if you're a Kiln team member, just raise your hand. Um, so if if this is your first time at Kiln, can you raise your hand? Okay, awesome. So there are a few of you. If you would like to see behind the scenes, most of Kiln Salt Lake is actually behind two glass doors and you can go back and see the the, the real meat and potatoes of Kiln back there. So find a member of our team. We have these little, these little pins on. Um, some of you may be coming to hear about the future of work, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But I also, uh, there, there was a change of title, and what I felt like would be applicable to this audience would be to talk about some of the learnings that have come from the first five years of Kiln. So how many of you are in the process of building a company? Okay, great. And uh, if if I'm... If it gets boring at some point, you just stop me and say, ask a question or tell me to do something different. Also, I, I created this presentation. Um, <laughs> I wanted to do something different. So you're gonna see quite an intense grid coming up here in just a moment. Um, but I wanted to reflect back on what it took to build Kiln to this point. And it's been five years. Uh, we, we launched our first location in 2018, um, actually, in May of 2018, we launched a beta location, and this location that you're in today uh, launched in November of 2018. So, and we just we just opened an expansion, doubled the size of Kiln Salt Lake this last year. So, in a lot of ways, it's brand new, and in some ways, it's the uh, OG. Um, here's the grid. So, I want to talk a little bit about some of the key things that I think have come out of this journey so far. I hope that they're helpful. Hopefully it's dense. Like I don't want it to be fluffy. I want you to get some things out of this that you feel can apply to the experience that you're having right now and building your own company. Um, but these are some of the topics that I wanna talk about. I wanna talk a little bit about the background so you have a little bit of the story. Talk about the team, the network, money, how money works in the business and to a degree, some of the key learnings. So these are all about the, the things that we've learned in these categories, partners, product, values, culture, and then a little bit of a catch-all at the end. Does that sound all right? Is anyone disappointed that I'm not talking about like offices and desks and future of work? Because I can hit some of those topics too. I have a few slides at the end where we can talk about what's going on in the world of work, which is a lot. A lot has changed um, post-pandemic. We're seeing a, a tremendous amount of um, flexibility and in, enter into the way that we work. Um, but we're gonna charge through these uh, these points if that's okay. So this is just a little bit about me. I have four wonderful children. Uh, I'm married to Jill. Jill is the hidden co-founder of Kiln. She's the, they have been a part of building 
uh, kiln and a prior brand um, the whole way through. I love to travel. We lived abroad for a quite uh, a number of years as a family. And my favorite thing to do is ski with my friends and my family. That's if you were to pick what I wanted to do on a day, it'd be something like that. Um, one interesting thing about me is that I built a spaceship simulator uh, for about three years as a teenager. So you know that there's a few screws loose. Um, I'm just gonna disclose that up front. Uh, I was really into this whole idea that we could create a spaceship experience in my mother's garage. Um, and so we had all of these computers and we built this environment inside. Unfortunately, you can't see the inside, but it took over most of the garage until the insurance adjuster came by and said, I can't give you house homeowner's insurance unless you get rid of this. So it was a full on fire uh, hazard, but it was a lot of fun. I went into real estate after college, um, developing and working with communities for active adults, believe it or not. So it was there's some correlations to what I was doing here, but I was in real estate for a number of years. I did some startups, a cafe, a sustainable housing company. Both of them, both of them basically went nowhere, you know, but they were a lot of fun. So if you've experienced that before, that's that's somehow that's sometimes how it goes. Um, I then went on and, and did an MBA and learned from people that I really admire and that had a real in, impact on my career. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot of ways to become educated. Um, I just had to have the force function of a formal degree, and uh, it ended up being a great thing for me. We moved to England as a family, and one of the things that happened while I was there is that I studied co-working and flexible office as a research project paid for by CBRE. And I also started a company with a number of my classmates. It's a small company. Um, we listed on the London Stock Exchange. It's still running and it's still a listed company and it's doing fine. Um, didn't become, you know, a giant, enormous company, but it actually has a really great role that it plays even to this day. And then I went to work for Barclays and in Barclays, I worked on strategy and specifically how we bring fintech companies together. Is there anybody here in fintech? Okay, awesome. So we built one of the original like fintech accelerator models with Techstars. We built a venture arm, which was, um, 200 million pounds that we invested into fintech companies. Um, those include companies like um, Everledger, uh, uh, Clever Match, and um, a number of other kind of companies that are actually 200, $300 million companies. Um, but you may not hear about them because like, they're like in the pipes of fintech. Um, we also hosted the very first Ethereum meetup with a man named Vitalik, if you know who Vitalik is. And if you follow Ether, we held the very first meetup for, for Ether in this building right here, which was our the very first co-working space that I ever built. And as a part of what I did at Barclays, and the main thing that I did at Barclays, eventually built this co-working slash fintech accelerator model, which we scaled across the globe. So we had it in London and New York and Tel Aviv and Cape Town and Mumbai. And it was a real global journey. I picked up a lot of air miles and was able to see how co-working and uh, tech startups were evolving all over the world. Um, and so this is my last decade. This is, this is kind of what the last decade looks like. And, uh, and, and so Rise was a precursor to Kiln. And most importantly at Rise, I also met my co-founder in Kiln, 
Lee Radford, who if you see our, our design, beautiful design, it's, it's because of his talent. Um, he's, he's truly a, a savant in what he does. And we met in London and we worked on many of these projects, well, almost all of these projects together. This was a brand that we started that didn't work so well. This was a little thing that we tried, which worked all right. Um, and then we did, when then we launched Rise. And then in uh, 2018 in May, we did Kiln Beta, which was a pop-up co-working space. Now to give you just an overview of Kiln, Kiln has 12 operating locations and almost eight in development. Um, we'll do about $23 million of gross revenues this year. And um, we have over $50 million of projects in the pipeline. So there's a lot of growth coming our way and we're really in that mode of scaling our business. So we've kind of done the, the product market fit and validation. We've you know been able to get to good revenue and we got through the pandemic, which was a major feat for anybody in real estate, particularly anyone in office. And, uh, and, and today we're focused on scaling throughout the Western part of the United States, primarily California, Colorado, Idaho, Arizona, Oregon, will eventually go up into Washington, but all of this kind of central mountain West and West area. Um, we're centered around Salt Lake City in some ways. So if, if it's an hour or two flight, then we're then we're usually on it and we're looking at those markets. And we have a wonderful team. And the thing that I'm most proud of as um, as I look back on the last five years is the team that we've built and what it what it means to really work hard and accomplish good things together. So here's where we're going to jump into some of the learnings. Any questions about Kiln? Ask a question if you have a question about Kiln before we jump into the learnings. Yes. Where did the idea for Kiln come from? Do you mean the brand name or the business itself? Yeah. So, um, as I, uh, because I studied co working, I saw that the data was indicating that this was really going to be the trend. People wanted to work in more flexible ways. They were, they were really interested in having a high quality of life while they were at work. And so, and there was very little hospitality and good quality environment built for office. Um, I also love working with young companies. And so Kiln was originally started primarily to work with startups. Um, what, how it's evolved is that about 30% of our members are now corporates. So we have Aflac and HP and large enterprise companies that now are housed with us and we've varied our product as well. So when we originally built this location and our Lehigh location, most of our offices were for teams of 10 and under. And now at least 30 to 40% of our product is built for teams of 20 to 30. So we have large studio offices, which if you, if you tour over in that direction, you'll see that. And what's happening is people are downsizing out of traditional office, um, it, particularly if they have like a team of less than 200, and they're using a remote strategy. So two days, at least two days a week at home, they're saying, you know what, we need more of a gathering place. We don't need, you know, a big office where everyone has their own desk or where all of our VPs have a corner office kind of thing. And they're using physical space in a much more flexible way. Very similar to what we saw, you know, post the, the um, dot-com bust, 
where people actually got away from having all their own physical infrastructure. Remember all the servers that people had in their basements and stuff? Now, of course, we don't start companies that way. We always you know, leverage the flexible infrastructure that's out there. I think that that kind of trend is coming. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll we'll use multiple channels. We'll use our online marketing. We'll use lots of uh, work in building partnerships. Ultimately, word of mouth. And you're actually sitting in the main marketing mechanism for Kiln. So Kiln is really about bringing people together. And the more people that come and just engage with us, the more people get curious about becoming a member at Kiln. So our theaters are a really important mechanism. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna now kind of charge into some key learnings that have come over the last five years. We're gonna hit these hard and then um, kind of pause and have a quick discussion about some of them. So on network, if you're building a network, it's years and years of laying the foundation with good relationships. If I look at the success of our business, goes all the way back to you know 20, 30 years ago, relationships which I was building um, have, have had an impact on, on us as a business. And I would also say the same thing about all of my team. A lot of my team have built really good and important relationships that are built on trust, where there was integrity in some critical moment, uh, they performed in the right way. You never know who's gonna impact your journey. You always have to be curious and eager you are your own brand. You're building your own brand um, and you want to be known for certain things. And uh, you want to set out a pattern in your life that people can follow. The idea that you kind of fall into entrepreneurship, maybe, maybe uh, most people here, by the way, I'm noticing there's not like a ton of recent college grads. I can tell because you don't have puppies with you and you don't have, you have, you've done your hair. Um, so the point I'm kind of getting at is that you know that it takes years to build a reputation. That is really the most important equity you bring with you into your company as you start your business. Your team, I'm, I'm just gonna talk, this, this is one of the key kind of things, how you build the right team, and I'll just share a few key things that I think have come out of the last five years. What you're looking for is quality of character over skill set. You really want people that care, that work hard, that's really hard to find now, by the way. It's hard to find people that want to really dig in and work hard. Um, and a lot of what that takes is just finding something that somebody really connects with with your business, where you feel like they genuinely care about the details of the business. Um, one of the things that I've learned is really important is hiring for the immediate need versus where you think you're gonna be in two to three years, because that will always change. It just feels like every year you're your view of the next couple of years is going to going to be significantly changing. And so I think that's that's an important thing. Um, transitional from horizontal horizontal to vertical talent. By the way, this is what happens when you get tired of the traditional PowerPoint and you're like, I could just put things out in bullets or maybe I'll just create a grid and we'll just put it on a grid. And then you don't anticipate that there's gonna be another grid in the mix, which I should have because I, kind of was a part of picking that. Um, it's, it's really key at the early stages that you're building horizontal talent, people that can wear lots of different hats and that are really comfortable doing lots of different things without knowing how to do them. And then you reach this transition point where you really need people that can do a few things very, very well that know how to do them extremely well. And knowing when you start to change or transition is, is difficult. Um, what I will say is that 
uh, the first person that goes into a role, if you have ever created a new role, how many of you create a new role in your business? Something that didn't exist before. Okay. The success rate in that new role is challenged. It, it you know, in my, my view, it's like 50% success rate. And that's because you haven't defined what the role is really going to be. You're sort of working it out as you go. You really need to be thoughtful about who goes into those first roles versus once a role is established and you're able to, um, and you're able to kind of put somebody into a groove that already exists. It's hard within a business to constantly be raising the standard. Um, and the way that you do that, in my opinion, is by bringing people into the business that have fresh ideas and bring new perspective and that can continue to challenge the organization so long as your culture allows that to happen. Um, and it can be that somebody is here for a chapter or they can stay for the full book. It's okay if people come for a chapter in your business. That was hard for me when uh, I, you know, people have come in and sometimes after that chapter's done, they're not the right fit anymore, or they've decided it's, it's not the right fit for them. But um, I would just get prepared to like fall in love with people and then love them as they go on to their next chapter as well. So it's not an easy thing sometimes, especially when you're a young company and you're close uh, but it's an important thing to be sort of emotionally prepared for. Um, hire slow. Uh, anybody from Kiln, can you get like, how long is our typical hiring process? Would you guess six or seven months? How long was it for you, Kyle? About six months? Yeah. Kyle came from the US ski and snowboard uh, team and worked in marketing which made him extremely questionable because we just thought he'd be like doing tricks on skis all the time. We didn't know if he'd, but at any rate, he's been absolutely phenomenal, but yes, hire slow, fire fast. You hear that a lot. The fire fast is so difficult, so difficult, especially if you built an organization that really cares about people that really wants to see people succeed. Um, but ultimately you need to be, once you've, once it's clear that it's not working, the sooner you make the change, the less painful it's going to be. I have learned that um, through both senior people in the business as well as you know people who are on, only with us for a few months. It's always hard, but a very important skill. Um, and the last thing I'll just say is that when you think about what you're really trying to find like deep within a person, the questions that you're asking, hopefully you've uh, achieved a knowledge of their skill set through their resume or through the information that they've shared with you. But the deeper question that you need to get to is who is that person? What really drives them? So one question that I ask a lot is, I believe that every person comes in the world with some gift that's truly unique to them. And part of our challenge is just discovering what that is and then the other part of the challenge is making sure that who you are truly aligns to what you're doing. And I will ask questions about that to try to get to the heart of who the person really is, what really drives them, how they're truly motivated, and do those values align to who we are as a business? And uh, again, hiring is the most important thing you do once you've established product market fit. So once you have a business that actually can scale, then hiring is the most important thing that you do. Because the team that you bring in is the team that's going to build the business, obviously. Okay, partners. Kiln has um, well over 50 capital partners. 
people that have invested and we raise capital in two different ways. We raise capital for our parent company, which is where our brand sits. It's where our central operations sit. And then we, we raise capital for our, each of our locations. So um, it takes about anywhere from three to six million or more, depending on the location, to build a new kiln location. And so we go to investors that want cash flow and we raise capital from them. And then we work with investors who want sort of venture upside on our parent company side. So we've been raising capital a lot. I mean, we, we raise, I'm, I feel like I'm in a pretty regular state of some kind of capital needing to be raised. Um, and the most important thing about being able to continue to do that is the way that you treat your investor when something is going wrong. When something's going wrong, you can either use your agreements as your backstop and be like, well, sorry, you know, you took the risk. Or you can try to figure out any way possible to do the best thing by your investor. And it's never easy to figure those things out. But when our investors have, have sensed that we truly have their best interest at heart, they have been very patient with us and have worked with us through any challenges that we've experienced. And in, in the pandemic, um, investors called and they said, hey, look, Arian, we're with you. You know, you, we don't expect any checks from you. Just try to do everything you can not to lose our money. Like we don't need cash flow coming in, but just try to keep the thing afloat. Uh, we successfully made it through the pandemic, having never missed a committed payment, um, having never laid off any team members. And so I think that um, that was really due in part to our investors and their support and the way that they backed us. It's really important to set clear expectations. Hard as an entrepreneur and uh, as somebody who's very passionate about your business, um, there's a lot of cases where the entrepreneur is going to sort of expand on the possibilities of the company and uh, try to make, make the upside look as good as you possibly can. You don't want to undersell your business, but you obviously want to make sure that you're setting achievable expectations. And this is very important in the very earliest stages of your company. Um, I always get a little bit nervous about a founder who's like, we're going to be a billion dollar company in two years. It's very hard to accomplish that. But if you can just make progress towards your next revenue goals, um, and it's not always, you know, a lot of SaaS and other companies feel like they, they need to scale at an incredible pace. My view, and our business is different because we're constrained by physical things, but my view is that take the pace that's, make sure you're growing at a good pace, but don't grow so fast that you can't maintain integrity in your product or in your team or in your business. Um, careful with the Kool-Aid. Uh, both with what you sell to your investors as well as what you tell to your team. You don't want to oversell where you're going to your team. You want to be realistic about where you're at and where you want to get to. Um, you obviously want to be optimistic, but realistic at the same time. Um, money. Cost management is so critical for any business. And yet, and we've seen over the last sort of decade, a lot of examples of, hey, we don't need to be profitable or you know, we can blow a bunch of money on something crazy. Um, some people have probably heard of a company called, well, I won't name them, but there's sort of a we and then there's a work on the end of it. And there's a there's a lot of benefit that I think has come to Kiln because we've been able to see 
some of the mistakes that were made along the way uh, from that business, look to companies in your space, in your industry that have failed. Study the examples of their failure. Why did they fail? Did they get the business model wrong? Was there something wrong with the execution? Did the CEO get crazy and start spending money in stupid ways? Um, or was there even something more nefarious? It's all a mystery. So you should you should discover it. Learn about what's happening with the failures in your business, in your industry. Um, be very thoughtful about making sure that your leadership team has a united philosophy around money. Um, Jeff, who's our COO, um, uh, this is Jeff right here. He's got a blue shirt on, which means he's smart and he's a COO. I'm just teasing. I have a blue shirt on too. Um, Jeff, uh, one of the things that really stood out to me was how Jeff was very thoughtful about cost and spending when we were talking about coming into Kiln. I could sense that in his own personal life, he wasn't like pushing the boundaries of his financial uh, position. And I think that's very important that you build a team around you that cares about money in a similar way. They don't wanna blow money on, on things that aren't gonna add value to the business. They wanna be thoughtful about how they're managing the burn of the company um, or tracking to profitability. Um, very, very seriously track your burn. As the founder or CEO of your company, you have to be really in the detail about burn and you gotta be almost obsessed with it. You gotta be focused on it every month. This is hard, especially if you're a product person or you're a person that maybe isn't a finance person. You really need to become a person that knows the details of how that burn is, is, is occurring within your business in the early phases of your company. Um, I put this here, there's, there's a tendency to celebrate financial achievement over product achievement. And what I mean by that is like, yeah, we got like X million dollars this month. Boo boo. Yeah. Yeah. You know, big rah, rah and bang, the bang, the bang, the gong and everything. Right. That that's okay. But it really needs to be balanced out by a passion for product. If the product isn't catching up to the revenue or the revenue is outpacing the product, then there's a problem. There's a longer term problem, which is people are buying your product, but as soon as they really start using it, are they going to love it? Are they going to stick? Are they going to stay? One of the things we love about Kiln is that anybody can leave basically when they want to. There, there, there are a few caveats to that, but, but basically it's flexible. And that means we have to always perform rather than relying on the fact that they signed a long-term contract with us that they can't get out of. You always want to build a business where the product precedes the revenue or comes in priority to the revenue. And um, be ready financially for the unexpected. Um, the pandemic, of course, if you're a flexible office operator, was seriously unexpected. Um, but the fact that we weren't financially too stretched to be able to get through it was important. And the fact that we had like little pockets of resource that we had maintained is really, really critical. So be sure that you're doing that uh, in the early days of your business. Um, great, product. We love product. This is the thing that gets us up in the morning. It's the thing that we get angry and upset about, the thing that we celebrate. We want to make sure that the people who come to Kiln have an experience that is elevating to them in their life and their work. And that is what a product is. A product is an experience. 
what's the experience somebody's having when they interface with your product? Is it elevating? Is it frictionless? Does it get the job done that they need done? Are you really clear about that? There are moments when I have been really discouraged about our product. And when I feel that way, the best thing for me to do is go and talk to people who are using our product, to our members. Usually they're kind, they'll say nice things, and then they'll always come up with one thing that's a point of friction for them that they wish could change. And it, it helps me to focus and it helps me to feel also excited about what we have achieved already. Spend time talking to your customers, constantly discover how they're using your product. Engage everyone in the team. This is a really important thing, and I'm gonna to touch on this uh, for just a moment. So we built a beta product. This is super unconventional for anything in real estate. Normally you don't build a beta, you just build the thing and then it is what it is. This was a total pop-up co-working space. It was 26,000 square feet. It did not have ceilings. It did not have good acoustics. It did not have a lot of things, but it had a few things that allowed us to learn. Um, these are some of our first two members of our team right there. And uh, that's Brighton, by the way. That's Brighton. If anybody knows Brighton, you won't. Yeah. At any rate, Brighton and Carrie and all of these wonderful startups that were here, some of them are still a part of Kiln today. And we obsessed over like the tiny detail of the desk. So we spent all of this time trying to figure out how we created the perfect desk. Um, and this is Lee right here. And he's sort of explaining, well, it's 24 inches deep and it's, you know, four feet wide and it has this drawer. And we were trying to think about even the kind of the curve on this point right here, all the details trying to get them just right. The desk is still something we are, are trying to get just right. There's still improvements that we're trying to make. And we came up with this whole wall paneling system. People probably don't know this, but we produce over 20 different physical products as a business. We have a manufacturing partner in Mexico. We have manufacturing partners in China. We have partners here in Utah that produce a lot of our wood. Um, there's a there's a whole supply chain that we've built. We have a warehouse. So it's, it's a whole products business that requires a lot of detailed focus on product. Um, and we get our team involved in building our product. This is highly unconventional. So imagine you took within your own company, everybody, and for a week, they were a part of building the product. This is what we do as a business. Uh, we call it Blitz Week. It's something that happens before we launch a new location. And these are from, well, these two pictures are from Portland, which just launched this last month. It's just about a month old. And this is from Provo, which um, just launched last week. Give it up. Provo launched last week. Yeah. And Provo is quite unique because it was our first built from scratch location. So we designed the building from the ground up, which we had never done before. And to our knowledge, we don't know of any other location like it in the United States where co-working business is built or designed something from the ground up. But engaging your whole team in the product means that um, everyone, let's just pick out somebody. Uh, there's Kelsey. Kelsey uh, works in business development and um, she's not really a product designer, but because she's engaging in the product, she comes up with thoughts and ideas about how we can evolve the product. Um, and I could tell you stories about a lot of other people in here. And we engage our families sometimes too. This is Lee's daughter. It's not a very good picture, but that's Lee's daughter. 
and uh, and she actually helped do one of our murals. She's an artist um, in London, and she's really quite talented. And so we engage our family as well, which means that they feel ownership in the product also. Um, now, the last kind of critical thing I want to talk about is culture. Um, culture is something we hear a lot of buzz about, but it's really hard to figure out how to do it well. A lot of companies think that startups have great culture. Who thinks a startup has good culture? Okay, there's one guy that startups are horrible usually. They're just brutal. It is not fun. There's like, you know, maybe you're buying some Red Bull or something to keep you going, but they're typically not fun. That's the, mis that's the misconception about startups. Startups actually require a ton of hard work. Uh, there's disagreement. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that can come into a startup. And the thing that is hard is to know how much time should a young founder be dedicating to building culture? Um, and it's a, it's a difficult balance to get right, but I'll just share a few quick things. The culture is the company and the company is the culture. The culture is our company. Our company is our culture. And the way that we define culture is the way we get things done. So a company is the way you get things done. That's what it is for us. And culture sits between where the things are that you tolerate and that you celebrate. That's a quote from Scott O'Neill. Um, but culture is found between what you tolerate and what you celebrate. So anytime you're tolerating something in your organization, you've decided to embrace that as a part of your culture. Whether you acknowledge it or not, you've decided that that's gonna be a part of your culture. And when you celebrate something, you're also acknowledging this is an important thing in our culture. So celebration is really important. Um, this is Lee and I, this is in my mother's house where we started, the, had the, some of the first meetings of Kiln. Uh, I did the first hire, um, in-person hire, on the couch in my mother's basement. And I forgot to turn the lights on because I was so focused on the conversation. My wife came down, I'm sitting on the couch with this other guy in the dark. She's like, what are you doing? And she turned on the lights. And any rate, that's how Kiln sort of started. But here's Lee and I trying to figure out what we wanted Kiln to be about. And in the very early days, we said, Kiln people do great things. And that's what it's always been about. The things that we do are our culture. And so it's the way we get things done. And it's in the way that's a really the critical thing. Every process that you have, the way you start your meetings, the way you end your meetings, the what, what you accomplish during your meetings. By the way, I feel like we have too many meetings and we never accomplish enough in our meetings, but we're working on that. But what I, and that's partly my problem. I, I've got ADHD and I can go all over the map anytime. But, but one of the things that I'll mention here is that if it's this simple, just think about the simplicity of this. Everything that you do forms a little layer of your culture. And so if you have a process in place that's that's contributing to the way that people get things done, that's a part of your culture. I'm gonna just show this through an example. This is a fun thing that we did as a team on, a, we do these things called Kiln Camp, which we get together once a year and we have a camp. And at Kiln Camp one year, Lee came up with this great idea and he gave us all the same size of um, drawing a blank. What are these called? Canvas, thank you very much. He gave us the same sizes of canvas and he gave us similar instruments and similar paint. And he said, now come up with something that's unique to you 
that has um, that 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 sort of expresses your own creativity, but within these sort of constraints. And the team came up with some you know really cool things, and um, everybody sort of had their own approach to it, their own creativity, but it also resulted in something that sort of worked together. Um, and actually, you can see these, a lot of these paintings have now been assembled in Kiln Park City in our, um, in our sort of ski locker room, which is only there because we care so much about skiing, not because it wasn't good enough to go anywhere else. So, but at any rate, it's a really fun thing that we did. And this is a lot like culture. So you set out some boundaries, you set some processes in place, but then you allow your team to express their own creativity and express themselves through their work. And I think this is a really good example of, of that. And it manifests itself in Kiln. This is a workshop that we did recently for uh, another Kiln location that we'll be building here in Utah. And um, this, this is a good example of sort of that concept actually in action where people are working around a similar problem set, but coming at it with their own Kind of levels of creativity. Now I want to just pause for a moment and say that the pandemic was hard, so hard on so many levels. But the thing that really made it hard was that um, A, we were just grinding to get through it, doing everything we could. We proactively went out to every member before they asked for any discount or something like that. And we said, hey, what can we do to help? Was anybody here and a member of Kiln during the pandemic? Yes, Chris. Yes. Thank you. What's your name? Jonathan. Every, okay, awesome. Every, every called us and they said, look, we're not gonna be using our office for a while, but we care a lot about Kiln. We've had a great relationship and we're just gonna keep paying. And there were a few people that did that and it made a world of difference to us as a company. So thank you very, very much. That was a really, really wonderful thing for us. Um, it got us through the pandemic and it wasn't just the financial constraints of the pandemic that made it difficult. It was the emotional side of the pandemic. And in the midst of the pandemic, you may recall, there was actually an earthquake here in Salt Lake City. Does anyone remember that? And we had a massive amount of glass that actually shattered like pallets of glass that were meant to go in and be installed sh shortly thereafter, I think in Kiln Lehigh too. And they all shattered on this floor in here out here in the West Valley. Um, that was crazy. But emotionally, it was just hard. It's like, oh my gosh, now we're having earthquakes, we have a pandemic. And then we were hit, we were hit with Black Lives Matter. And Black Lives Matter was emotionally intense for everybody. I think I didn't pick up on it quickly enough. But what we realized was that this was, we were all feeling emotionally connected to this issue. And there were a lot of other things that were going on at the time, but this issue felt like this is the last straw. We were dealing with this pandemic. We just had this earthquake in Salt Lake City. We also are now experiencing this upheaval and this recognition that we as a nation and a country are not where we need to be. And we all felt um, that impact us in different ways. What I'll say is that uh, it, really caused, it really caused me to sit back and reflect and what I needed to do differently as a leader. I felt really challenged by that situation and knowing how to lead the company through that situation. And um, 
it's important to know that when you're dealing with culture, it's a very live thing. It will change. There's never a point at which you've solved it or which it's complete or which it's done. It's constantly a relationship that you're having with your company is the, is that evolution of its culture. We had this beautiful, uh, Atrium built this opened during the pandemic. It opened in May of 2020. Does anyone remember what May of 2020 was like? Brutal. World shut down in March. May, May we opened a new co-working space. Um, we had this beautiful wall and we painted, well, I shouldn't say we, we found this wonderful artist named Miriam Tribe. And she, through her hardship, her own personal hardships in her life, had used art as a way to kind of give herself therapy through those experiences. She, she used art as an outlet and um, her art, I love her art. And what she drew for us uh, here we, is really a symbol of being together. And ultimately what we recognized coming out of Black Lives Matter and out of the pandemic was that we really wanted to be together. We really wanted to feel connected. And, uh, and, and so you can see that piece of art in Lehigh when you come. There's also a piece of art here in Salt Lake, which I hope you go see. It's over in this staircase and it's called the Good Corporate Ladder. At least I call it that. But it's the idea of sharing information, helping each other grow. Um, the last thing is we recognize when we hit that juncture of things are failing in our business culturally that we, we needed a, uh, a values backstop. We needed a set of values. We hadn't defined what they were. And so we actually hired somebody. She went through and she interviewed a number of our team and they told her the good, bad, and the ugly. And she said, well, based on what I've learned, I think these are your actual values. These are the things that are authentic to you and also the things that you can kind of expand upon and, and continue to aspire toward. So these are our values. We're human at the core. We're always evolving. We achieve and celebrate together try to do things that are nothing short of extraordinary. We do things thoughtfully and with purpose and we're scrappy and ingenious. And we have a lot of fun together. And these values are now an important part of our DNA as a company. And we do things that they allow us to go out and make choices and do things that are maybe a little unconventional. This is a whole community day we did up at a ski resort in Wyoming. Um, this is a really cool thing that Danny helped put on right here. This was a you know a cycling class down in our disco room. If you haven't seen the disco room, that's another thing you need to see. Um, and we also built a kiln cabin. Look at you, Sean. I just saw you walk in. Look, there's Sean sitting in the kiln cabin. And this is a little trailer that we have turned into a meeting room in the mountains at Sundance. And all of these things are possible when you know why you're doing them. When you have some so, sort of a cultural and values backstop that says, this aligns with where we're going, what we're doing. So this was uh, an image in the very beginning of Kiln. We were officing out of a tiny little office in here and we were building this beta location across the parking lot. And we were literally carrying our own furniture and setting it up on, all on our own. The things that made us successful then, the willingness to work hard, the level of care that was shared among all members of the team are still core to our business today. And these are just the last little caveat bits of, of, of learning. If you find the fun, then snap, the job's a game. Where does that come from, by the way? Mary Poppins, thank you. She's my celebrity crush. 
And Mary Poppins um, really was trying to take a banker who was really just boring and turn him into something that was a little bit, bit different. And, uh, and we really always need fun in, in what we do. Um, early stage teams really need to be together. I know that we're in a world where technology makes it possible for us to do a lot of things virtually. I just have to say my opinion is that if you're a young company, you really need to be together with your team. Um, it's hard to solve problems and to really get emotionally connected to what you're doing if you're if you're doing it all virtually. Um, everything is emotional. People try to say it's not business. It's not personal. It's business. That's 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 not true. Everything is a part of who you are. You are living your life at work or at home or on the trail or in, in the car. You're still the same person. You're having the same real emotional, spiritual uh, experience in your life. And you bring that all to work. It doesn't like leave when you walk through the doors of what you're doing or you jump on that virtual call. So be embrace your emotion and leverage it to do a better job at what you're doing. Um, one of the ways that you can understand yourself is to truly look at your childhood. If you look back at your childhood and you understand what drives you, that's going to actually make you, is going to bring clarity to why you want to do what you're doing. Why is it that you want to do this thing? It usually connects back to your childhood in some way. Um, I would be very cautious about becoming an entrepreneur straight out of college. That's one other little thing. I just think it takes years of kind of experiencing things to, to really uh, insulate yourself with the knowledge and the skills that you need to be successful as a founder. Not that it can't happen. There are plenty of people that come straight out of college and build great companies. I tried to do it right out of my MBA and I learned some important things. Find somebody who's building a business and be a part of that business if you really wanna become an entrepreneur at some point. And then the last thing um, I just wanna say is the most valuable thing you have is your time. Where you spend your time and who you spend your time with is truly the essence of what makes up life. Um, I haven't sold a bunch of equity in Kiln. Most of my chips are still on the table. If I were to get in a car accident tomorrow and leave this world, I would be happy that I work with these people. I don't really, it, everything else doesn't really matter if you don't love the people you work with and you don't feel genuinely passionate about what you're doing. Um, the financial reward will be hollow, I think, if you don't achieve something special along the way uh, as a part of that journey. And it's not always easy. And anybody who works with me at Kiln knows that I, I'm emotional and I get really engaged in things. And sometimes I get it wrong. And, you know, it's never going to be a clean process. But if you put your heart into it, it'll be a rewarding one. Thank you very much. I tried to leave a little time. If anyone has a question. Uh, first of all, thank you for sharing those insights. I find it very admirable um, that you hyper-focus so much on your people and your culture in a genuine way because that's usually professed but not practiced. Um, my question, as I'm a South African, um, implant to Utah, uh, curious about how you scale culture globally. Um, I think as a small team, it's easy. Um, but when you're managing multiple locations and when, like you said, your company is your culture, how do you do that in an authentic way while respecting local cultures? I built a co-working space in South Africa, in Cape Town. 
Um, it was one of the first, it was in Woodstock, Cape Town, if you know that area. And we also had co-working spaces in like Tel Aviv or in Mumbai or Vilnius, Lithuania. And by the way, the, the folks in Vilnius and the folks in Cape Town are very different culturally, as, as are the folks in Israel versus India. Um, but again, you just have to find people who have a common set of underlying values. And if you if you try to impose values or impose culture, it won't be successful. But if you try to create uh, a team that has similar values that you've tried to connect people with similar values, you'll usually be able to get people to align across different cultures. Okay, we'll do one more question, one or two more questions. Thank you. Uh, I'm curious. You know, you certainly aren't the first co-working space, and there's more than just the big bad one. Um, and you had some before, like Rise. What was the differentiating factor that made Kiln more successful? Why did you go from Rise to Kiln? And why is Kiln, you know, kind of outperformed a lot of these other coking? Control. <laughs> I'm a control freak, man. I really wanted to be able to control where we're going. With Rise, it was a part of a big company, Barclays. And we didn't really have the full say in everything that we wanted to do or where we wanted to go. So, and, and we didn't have ownership in it. So that was an important thing. Um, so we built Kiln based on a lot of the things we had learned, but obviously being able to do the things that we weren't able to do because of the constraints of the organization that we were in previously. Um, and then to your second question of, as to why Kiln is different or better, um, we don't spend a lot of time as a business focused on necessarily how we compare to other competitors, but I would say that our product is the principal difference. If you go and experience the product at other competitors, it's usually driven more around how you achieve higher density in the location and, and therefore can achieve a much higher margin. We're comfortable with lower margins, with less density, but with more amenities because we feel like it makes our model more sticky. So we would rather have people that stay with us for a while. You know, Chris, is, Chris has been a part of Kiln for a number of years. How long? 2019. So, you know, we'd rather have people be a part of this community um, than us try to like squeeze every last dollar out of the model. And uh, I think that when a company becomes more corporate and is managed more from a spreadsheet, it's harder and harder to make good decisions about how you serve your customer in the best way. All right. I think we're almost there. Thank you so much. I hope that you take a chance to experience Kiln. If you haven't been here before, please uh, find one of our team members. We've got these funky little pins on and we'd be happy to show you the uh, the, the back, back area of Kiln, which you're sitting in about, I think two or 3000 square feet here. And we have um, almost 50,000 square feet total. So hopefully you'll get a chance to see the, re the remainder of Kiln while you're here today. And thank you very much. Cheers.